Father in heaven, we're so grateful to thee. So thankful, Lord, we can be in thy house in this day. Thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could experience, even as we just come through the doors and, and can see one another. Lord, we're thankful for the moving of thy spirit that we can feel in the Bible class and the encouragement that we can find as we study thy, thy word together. And, and Lord, we're so thankful for that. I pray, Father, that you'd be in our midst in this day. pray that you would speak to us from your word. Give us direction and inspiration as it's needful for each one of our lives individually and, and especially collectively as a body as well. Lord, we pray for Brother Amel, especially in this day, and thankful that he's not doing too badly with the symptoms that he has of the virus so far, but pray especially with his um, some of the struggles that he's had with ailments over the last year, Lord, that you'd watch over him, pray that his immune system would be strong and be able to, to wield off the balance of this, uh, this bout that he'll have with the virus. Lord, we're thankful that the Marcy's can be back together, thankful that they can uh, still be in, in good health, and thankful Uncle Dan can be feeling better. Pray, Lord, that you'd watch over them and encourage them, especially in this day and especially in their quiet times. And so now, Lord, as we look into your word, we ask your blessing on it and your provision for all that we would discussed in this day. And so we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask you to turn with me to uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah, chapter 40. I have a, um, probably going to be a silly question for some of you because you won't even recall this. But, if I asked you to look back 30 years ago, exactly 30 years ago, January, February, 1991, I, this is kind of unique for Jacob because that was, his entry was 30 years ago. Yeah, well, <laughs> 30 years ago, we know it was a busy time in the Kittleberger's house, and the Hesses, and the Christics. And I'm sure there are other people I'm forgetting about, but it just popped into my head because I know his birthday is, is right around the beginning of the year. When you look back at January, February 1991, how do you look back at it? How do, you, how do you recall that time in the world? How do you recall that time in our nation? I am a, a big fan of George H.W. Bush and have read countless biographies on him. In January, February 1991, he was thinking about a re-election campaign, and I was that kid at eight years old that was drawing Bush for president uh, posters in my room. We were a nation at war, but it was a pretty successful one, if I can put that in quotes. I was eight. I don't know what the economy was doing, but as I look back at it, I, it seems like things were, were okay. Obviously, it didn't work so well for the president. The reason this came up, this particular, there's a verse that we're going to read um, that was the theme for a number of sermons that were preached at the beginning of 1991. And when the minister pulled up his you know, started, started the service, he quoted Newsweek, the first 
the, the first article in Newsweek in 1991 started this way. War, recession, runaway deficits, ominous warnings of racial strife, environmental collapse. It's enough to make you worried sick. I kind of chuckled when I, I heard that. This, um, you know, comfort in a world of chaos. It sounds like as, as we look back at it, that, that caption, for one, that could be applied to yesterday. Uh, I thought I, that part just struck, made me laugh when I first read that. But the perspective that the world had at that point was a world in chaos. And yet when I look back at it and I think about 30 years later, you know, 30 years ago, we had just probably moved into this building if I judged the cornerstone correctly. You know, we look at it now with that perspective. That was a good time. 1991 was a good time as we compare, if we, if we want to compare and fast forward ourselves to today. And so the thought that came to mind, and, and why, why do we recall things that way? Why, um, why do we have a, a different impression of the past than we do in, the, in that exact moment? And it's all a matter of perspective, right? It, it really comes down to our experience and the perspective that we have based on what we've um, experienced in the intervening years. But the verse, it's a series of verses, the verses that were the theme for the beginning of 1991 started in, in verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40. And it says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Waiting is a, well, at least to an impatient person like me, waiting is a miserable thing. I hate waiting. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate waiting in lines at the bank. I hate waiting for anything. I love now that we can order things on an app. And it's ready for you when you get there. I set the timing up so that I can just arrive just in a nick of time. If you said to, we all know the the look on our our kids' faces when there's something that they want to do and it's, wait, 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 stop. And and they're antsy, like they can't even help themselves. This morning, um, they got to have a really nice special Valentine's Day breakfast with all kinds of fixings on top of their pancakes. And it was, wait, we got to cut it. Wait, wait. The chocolate is like oozing off the side of the plate. Wait, let me get that and clean that up. But for an impatient kid, it's just, you you, you can't help yourself. You want to get started. And if somebody tells you to sit there and wait, it's miserable. Sit waiting for the the, um, car wash yesterday. Mommy says it's only going to be a five-minute wait. It's a five-minute line. 
26 minutes we were in that line by the time we got it all through. We didn't talk about it at the time, just pointing that out, that I did notice that it was 26 minutes. I don't, none of us like to wait. It's not a fun thing to do. And yet here we have Isaiah telling the children of Israel, who were in a terrible spot, going through very, very difficult times. It says that they that wait upon the Lord, that they'll renew their strength, that they'll mount up as wings as eagles, that they'll run and not be weary, they'll walk and not faint. How is it that waiting for God, waiting on God, is something that could yield that kind of uh, growth, that could yield that kind of a result? Soaring, running, climbing, having these momentous experiences with God. How is waiting something that would bring that about? I mean, for, for many of us, waiting is an even scarier thing. Um, it's not just an impatience, but it's, waiting for the worst outcome to come about, right? I have a bad habit. One of the guys I work with says, you're always, you're always writing the worst version of the script. I don't know if that's a hereditary thing or a genetic thing or whatever, that, where that comes from, but always writing the worst version of this, of this movie that's unfolding in front of me. However bad it can get, I can get you there. I can figure out how to put that story together. And I think we all... Some of us are more predisposed to that. Some of us, some of you are, are much better on that front and, and don't see that. Um, but what I've noticed is that there's a, there's a measure of perspective that we have, right? When we look back at 30 years ago, now we have a huge lens. I'm not good with cameras. I'll use the wrong terminology. I feel like it's aperture, though, that opens and closes. Is that right? Okay. So I feel like the aperture that we are looking through back to 1991, is massive. We can see all that's unfolded in the, in the meantime. We can see, we can, we can gather the whole picture as opposed to just the individual scary things that were happening at that particular moment. When we look at tomorrow, all we can see is the, the finite area that we're looking at right now. And with earthly eyes and earthly lenses, we're, we're forced to just view it in that, in that microcosm. But what Isaiah was trying to point out to them here is that there's, we're living on two different levels here. We're, we're, we need to be living on a different level. The opportunity that we have to wait upon the Lord and be renewed is purely a product of our, our visions and, and, and the aperture, the, the lens that we're looking at it all through. I'll give you a, a silly little example been teaching the kids to ski the last couple of weeks, and it was Ellie's turn to, to go. They, they took a lesson by themselves with a, with a teacher first, and then we decided to take them individually to do, you know, one-on-one -on -one daddy lessons. Not that that is a highly productive thing, but it seems to be working so far. Well, growing up, we always went to Labrador. I know that mountain like the back of my hand. If they turn the lights off, in the middle of the night up there, I think I probably could still make my way down. But Lab doesn't have the best bunny hill, so we've taken the kids to song for the last couple weeks to, to do their practices. And so Ellie did wonderfully. We did the bunny hill a bunch of times. She was ready to go up on the triple chair. I've been up the triple at song once in my life. The very first time I went skiing with Dad. 
it happens to have been 20 years ago. Not, I can't give you exact, the 30-year thing isn't going to work out perfectly today, but 20 years ago, almost to the same timeline, I went up this chair to the top of that hill and took the, I don't even know what the name of that road is, but it's the one closest to Otisco, the northernmost run, and meandered my way back down. Never taken another run on any other uh, hill at Song other than the Bunny Hill. But she was doing well, so we went to the top of the hill. And what I had seen all day long was these kids coming right down the middle of the mountain, right behind the Bunny Hill. Looked like a pretty simple hill. Would have been pretty easy for her. We get up to the top, and uh, there's no trail map up there. And I wasn't bright enough to check the trail map at the bottom, but just assumed that if they get you to the hill on the top and there's an easy trail, a green circle at the top, that they will provide you with continual green circles to get you to the bottom. Well, they do a very silly thing at song. Their green circles lead to, yellow, or to black diamonds and to intermediate hills, many of which don't have lights on at night. And so here I am with a darling little girl who is very excited about this, but also has no idea how tenuous the situation is getting because it is about 7 o'clock, about 6.30. So thankfully you're at the top of the mountain. The sun has gone down, but there's still a little bit of residual light. We head off on this one little uh, green run at the very top of the mountain, trying to traverse our way back to the bunny hill. And we get to the next sign that says, Black Diamond, Black Diamond, Blue Square. And the blue square is not lit. It is completely black. I mean, my heart is pounding out of my chest. That I I'm, I'm like almost want to lean into the microphone so you can hear. I was terrified because she doesn't ski well. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to walk her back all along the top here. Meanwhile, we're still snow plowing. We're trying to snow plow at this point. And so I I'm, pulled my phone out to try and find a, a trail map online. I there's no service at the top of the mountain. Come on. And so the only option I seem to have is I'm not going to have her take her skis off and walk down a black diamond because it wasn't even just a normal. It was moguls, the whole, the whole nine. And so I finally decided that I was going to take her down the blue square, the intermediate hill, with her on my back. And so I started snow plowing. I had her grab around my waist, and I snow plowed down through the dark, praying that I didn't hit a bump or something that I couldn't see until we could get back to a lit bunny hill. And when we got down to the bottom of the bunny hill, or the spot where she could still see ski again I said so how was that I mean as I'm like trembling and she said oh that was fun I said were you nervous like were you scared no why would I be nervous like it didn't even occur to her that this was a tenuous situation that we were in she wasn't stressed she wasn't nervous she just figured that got me up here he's going to get me back down and it, it, it struck me, because these verses had been going through my head the last couple of days, and then having this experience with her and, and thinking about perspective. Her perspective, the lens that she was looking through this at, was my dad wouldn't put me in a situation that he couldn't get me out of. Little did she know that I had put both of us in a situation I didn't know how we would get out of. 
But she had the confidence that this was going to work out. She didn't write the worst version of the story or the worst version of the script right out of the gate. She had an expectation that this, this was a situation that we had found ourselves in and that we would be brought back out of it. And it made me wonder and appreciate how, how can we more often live our lives that way? When, if you look up this waiting, uh, the, the word wait, in the Hebrew, it actually translates, the first part of that verse translates like this. One being expectant of Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If I think about that relationship with God, as rather than waiting in the sense of being an impatient kid, not getting what I wanted, but in the, the sense of an expectation of Yahweh, in an expectation of my Savior. If I live my life in expectation of that, well then that adds in expectation of God. Then that adds yet another piece that we have to talk about in in our relationship with Him. As His children, as those that have been saved, having, having His blood applied to our lives, the expectation of God adds a component that the rest of these waiting situations that we talk about don't have. We're not waiting in the sense that we are waiting in the sense that there is eternity before us, that there's heaven to come. But we're waiting also in the sense that eternity already started, that our relationship with him here is founded, it's anchored, and it needs to be lived and exercised even as I stand here today. I'm not waiting, I'm not expecting, um, I'm not waiting in the sense that I have no idea what's coming. I'm not waiting in the sense that I, don't, uh, I can't see around the next corner. I may not know what this particular step is that he's going to have me take tomorrow, but I know what the end result is. I know that my election is sure. I know that my name is written in the book of life. And so the, the perspective in that case, the lens, the aperture is wide open to be able to see the end. I can see the end. I need to live my life like I can see the end. That expectation is, is it's the current component of eternity today and allows us to rely on God in a way that's different than anybody else can have their relationships with him. The rest of the world is, is looking to God to be, be merciful, um, almost as if he's a genie at some point, a genie in a bottle. Let me, let me hope that God's going to give me this thing. I'm waiting for God to come give me an answer back. You know, I may be asking, I may be waiting for God to give me particular answers to particular questions on the steps that he would have me to take, but I'm surely not waiting for him to give me a purpose. Unfortunately, there's often a component of it, though, where I forget that. And I live my life with... The, the, the two phrases that came to mind was like carnal activity and spiritual passivity. Uncle Scott made the comment last, last week we were talking about um, people being busy. And there's a lot of folks that are, are busy but not really getting anything done in an office sense or in a, in a professional sense. There are folks that are working really hard but there isn't anything really happening. And I think sometimes we fall into that, um, into that case as well. There's, 
There are times in our lives and waves in our lives where we are busy about everything except there's not much happening. There's not much progress being made. There's not much growth actually taking place. And for me, I can see that clearly now as I look back, as my lens has opened up a little bit. If I look back at those times where there didn't seem to be a lot of movement, there was a lot of chaos but not a lot of movement, it's because the chaos was not about the right things. The activity was not about the right things. The activity was about making chaos and not about spiritual growth, not about spiritual advancement, if I dare say it that way. In the waiting, there was a lot of activity, but there was no soaring. It didn't seem to be like there was a lot of running, and if there was, there was a lot of exhaustion in the running. And it was because I had forgotten that he gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. I had forgotten that the lens needs to be open to be able to see God's perspective, to see this mission that he's given me is is much more important in an, earth, in an eternal sense than it ever will be in an earthly sense. And that the activities that we need to be going about, the, the growth in our relationships, the obedience that we show to him needs, needs to be exercised in, in things that are directed by God and by his spirit. We have, you know, just how do we do it? So the thought came to mind or the story came to mind of Jacob and Isaac when Jacob is is taking Isaac to sacrifice him. What kind of perspective did Jacob have to have at that point? It's not a great, I, I don't mean that it's a parallel story, but I kind of chuckled. The, I, the story with Elian skiing versus Jacob and Isaac. Jacob had, knew what was coming, knew what he was going to have to do, but had the confidence that the boy and I will return. Isaac had no idea what was going on. Said we're going up to sacrifice. Didn't experience, you know, it doesn't sound like he was anxious for this. Says, where is the, you know, we got the wood, we got the altar, we got the fire. Where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? Jacob says, God will provide the lamb. The obedience that Jacob showed, that continuing to walk through the process, walk through he would have killed his son if God had not provided the lamb in advance or the ram in advance. Recognizing that God would raise him back up again. Do I exercise my life that way? Do, do I? I certainly don't rely on God to that level. And because of that, he's not asking me to do things like he asked of Jacob. I think if, if I was more willing to be obedient, God would be asking more. Remember the story of Peter when he's out. Uh, Jesus has been preaching and needs to get out. Uh, the, the, the people were pressing him at the shoreline and he needed to get into a boat. So he, he steps into the boat and continues preaching, finishes his sermon and then says to the, the fishermen there, Peter included, let, let's go out. Let, let's go out and let down your nets. And Peter says, you know, Lord, we've been doing this all night. I mean, this is the thing I know. God, Jesus, this is, the th- this is what I do best. You, you do what you do best. I do what I do best. There's not going to be anything out here. But because you've asked it, I'll, I'll put the nets down. And the nets are overflowing. 
Maybe that's a little more relatable to us, that there's an acknowledgement that sometimes, you know, God, I, I don't know that if, I don't know how this is going to go. I trust you, and I'll be obedient, but I at least want to be on the record to say that I'm not sure how this is going to go. I don't know what those things are for you. I don't know what those obedience um, opportunities are, are for you in your life. I know for me that they're, they're obvious. You know, we say sometimes it's difficult to, to know God's will. Uh, it's, I shouldn't say it's difficult. Sometimes we take a lot of time to discern God's will, and certainly that's important. That's, that's wise. But there are other things that we know we're called to do that are obedient to God's direction that shouldn't be, shouldn't be so difficult for us. There is one phrase I heard was, go, go do the next good thing, the next right thing. We know what those things are. When we're approached with a choice in our lives, we are very, very infrequently having to halt between two opinions. Very infrequently are we having to pick the lesser of two evils. And so, if we're going to be active in our relationship with him, if we're going to be active in our walk, if our waiting, if our expectation of God as we, expect, as we are expecting of Yahweh, as we're doing that, in that it is certainly an active thing, let's, let's be more eager to exercise ourselves. It says that when they wait upon the Lord, that they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they'll run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. I take that as, as I wait upon the Lord, as I expect God's, exercise in my life to take place. As those things are unfolding, that I'm walking, that I'm running, that I'm soaring. I don't feel like I am soaring all that often. I saw an interesting quote. Uh, it's promised. So if we do not have it, it's our own fault. God's promises are our precepts. What he promises to give it is our duty to seek. I don't think about that often enough. You think about all the promises in Scripture. All these things that God promised to do. When I don't see them happening, I kind of stand around and go, what is God doing? How come he's not fulfilling his side of the bargain? I'm sitting on the sidelines. I'm not soaring, God. I am supposed to be soaring. Why am I not soaring? I am very bad at waiting, but I'll sit here and try. I'm waiting for you and I'm not soaring. It's because I'm not being active. My, my lens was so focused back in on this little problem in front of me, this little perceived problem in front of me, that I didn't even give myself and give God the opportunity to show me where he wanted me, show me where he wanted my exercise. Apostle Paul In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul first acknowledges this. He's this thorn in the flesh that he was asking to depart from me. And he said, But he just said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I wonder if, I wonder how often the Apostle Paul used this end of Isaiah 40 to, to think about that perspective. This thought that Yes, we're going to glory in our infirmities. I don't think anybody ever wants to glory in their infirmities. And I certainly don't have any that I need to, that I can even speak of. But recognizing at those moments that we need to be weak so that he can be strong. That our expectation of him as, as we wait upon the Lord, this renewing of strength that we're going to receive, that we should continually receive, this ability to walk and not faint, this ability to run and not be weary, Doing all of those things are going to become as a product of us laying down this carnal accomplishment or this desire for carnal accomplishment so that we can have the spiritual perspective of having him empowering our lives. I think we need to be so careful. I need to be so careful to consistently adjust that lens, to consistently adjust that aperture, to look at things through Isaiah's lens, being expectant of Yahweh. What is God going to do? To rejoice in that. It's way too easy to have that Newsweek um, perspective of, of just dialing back. Okay, well, what is, if I look at this microcosm right now, the snapshot of what I can see, certainly I'm going to write the same the same headline that they wrote in 1991. But when we look at it now, don't we come up with the thought, the, 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 the phrase comes to mind, hitherto the Lord hath blessed us. Hitherto the Lord hath blessed us. We, Uncle Hans, I, like, I love his analogy of, of the, the string or the thread that you can see through time. As you look at how God has brought all things together and ha- how that path was, was woven, we all have that. I bet even Jacob now at 30 years old can now see the thread as it's, it's woven through. And that'll be the, the thing that, you know, the experiences Ellie and I made the other night will be yet another experience to, to build upon. And hopefully in her life she can use that at some point to say, the way that I wasn't worried because Dad had it in control, that's how God has it. He has it in control. He has me in control. He has all of us in control. The question is, are we going to wait upon Him? Are we going to rely upon Him? Be expectant of Him. Expectant, not in a passive way, not in a, I'm going to sit back and see what God's going to do, but in a way that I'm going to seek to soar. I'm going to seek to have that relationship with him where he can give me the perspective so that regardless of what I I may be encountering, whether it is highs or it's lows at any given time, and it, it, it may be both at the same time, but that my perspective is his eternal purpose for me. And that I am one that would be seeking to fulfill that. Won't belabor the point. Pray that we can all have that heart to 
to be expectant of Yahweh. And maybe as we take one phrase into the coming week, it's to seek to soar.